I was guiding wilderness tours when I first came across the Spot Tracker Satellite Beacon. When it was first announced, I think it was 2008. It blew me away. I mean, the idea that I could be far from cell coverage in a remote place and I have this little device in my hand and I could press a button to tell anyone that I was okay. Or even more importantly, if I had an emergency, I could press the SOS button to call for help. That was incredible. I bought one as soon as it hit our market. I use them for guiding. I use them on my own trips. We sent them with guides doing remote trips for our company. It was a game changer for an emergency situation. But as much as that device helped for that full-on emergency, you know, if somebody was in dire medical need and required evacuation, it actually became a hindrance for everything rated below that. And that is where the trouble begins. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manikin, Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. Now, as I said, Spot came out in roughly 2008, had those buttons, the help button, the SOS button. Now, if you had a life-threatening emergency, you could press the SOS button and get help. And that was great. That was really important. But when you did press it, of course, you could get no information about what the emergency was, how much of an emergency it was, what dire straits someone was in, as well. The help button, the other button, you could send that message out, but all that does is send out a predetermined message to a predetermined contact. This is all stuff you had to set up before you even left on the trip. You set up a contact that you wanted to email to or, or text message to, and then put in your message that you'd have to make up in advance, which gave you no information, obviously, about the reason you're sending the help button. So the person that is receiving this message, in, in either case, if, they, if you press the help button, the, your person at home, whoever you designated as a contact, it gets the message. But even if you press the SOS button, that person at home also gets that a copy of that message as well as the authorities that will work to come in and see what your problem is. The issue is for those people back home, they have no feedback. They have no idea what is going on. So that sends everybody on a you know frantic, frenzied response, not knowing how or what to do to help. So it was clearly a huge step forward when the first two-way satellite messenger came out. Now, I don't remember who it was. It could have been InReach. It's a moot point. The point is, though, Two-way messaging through satellite meant you could send and receive messages and you could explain what your situation was. And on top of that, you could get some feedback from the person receiving the message, even if it's just to say, I got your message, I'm doing something about it. Whereas the other way, it wasn't possible. So that means you've got information going in and out. End of story, right? Well, no. In theory, the system should work great, but not so much. I'll give you an example. 
I was riding with a friend one time. He came off his motorcycle and he broke his leg. Now, no worries. We both had first aid training. We had a, an in-reach with us, a SAT communicator. So this was just a matter of arranging an evacuation. We felt it was going to be quicker in our case and better for us to arrange to get a Jeep to come in and get us rather than calling an ambulance and having them figure out how they're going to get the ambulance to the end of the road and then get in the rest of the way to finally get him. So that was our plan, except it didn't really work out quite that well because although we could message out, it required the receiver of that message to go to a computer and respond to the message directly. And it, it was quite a workaround. They managed to work it out, but it was a steep learning curve for them because they're not used to dealing with SATCOMs. And it was the first time that they had responded to something like this. And also there's a pressure of somebody sitting there with a broken leg while you're trying to arrange this. We ended up getting the Jeep in. We got our friend to the hospital. Everything's great. Since then, his, his leg is healed. He's all fine now. So this two-way satellite messaging system was good, but not great. That was until I was introduced to a device that really solved everything, solved all those problems that I've been talking about and more. Today, we're going to talk about one solution for what I'm describing here. It may not be the only one, but as far as I can tell, I think it is. And it's certainly the only one that I've seen that ticks all the boxes for me. Now, to be completely transparent, I want you to know we didn't receive any compensation for talking about this from anyone. Nobody's paid us anything to do this. But so far as I can tell, this is the only company that does what we think a modern messaging service should do for us motorcyclists. Because having a SATCOM that has an SOS feature is great, but we can do so much more with a messaging system that works seamlessly and is robust no matter where you are, yet is as simple to use as text messaging for both the person with the device and the person on the other end of the conversation. And for anything below a full-out emergency, come help me immediately, messaging is key. Today, we're going to begin with a rider named Sean Steed. Sean decided to sign up for a dual sport riding event in the mountains of British Columbia, where he found himself doing what he thought he'd never have to do. Press the SOS button on his SATCOM. I'm uh, Sean Steed. Uh, I'm from North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and uh, I am in my business is the uh, building materials exports offshore. Sean, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. So what kind of riding do you do? Uh, I do a little bit of everything, uh, adventure riding uh, and dual sport riding. And uh, I also like to uh, tour. I have uh, quite a nice sport touring bike that I use as well. Oh, this is interesting because you said you do adventure riding and dual sport riding. So what's the difference in your mind between those two? (laughs) Great question. Great question. well, adventure riding for me uh, was what led me to dual sport. And it's largely because I don't have the ability to know when to turn around. Um, <laughs> so, you know, an adventure bike, uh, you know, my old uh, Honda Africa Twin, you know, being 500 plus pounds, 600 pounds with my gear, um, was great on forest service roads, was great getting into the back country. And then that forest service road would turn into, uh, you know, a decommissioned road or a, do- a two track. And then that would turn into a single track. And and invariably, I'd, I'd end up, 
you know, being somewhere I just didn't belong on a, on a big, heavy bike like that. And, uh, so that's to me, you know, that's still adventure. Um, but for me, it was keeping it on, on forest service and service roads, uh, resource roads, that kind of thing. So then the dual sport thing. Uh, so yeah, I actually went down to Utah and, uh, just, I wanted to get better on the adventure bike. And I actually, uh, took a schooling class with someone from, uh, the internet people might know as uh, Tider from uh, no, otherwise known as uh, Everride. And uh, uh, he had me on a little 250cc Honda and then I tried out a WR250 and oh my goodness, I, I felt like a superhero. Um, I was riding sand, which I was always scared of on the, on the big Africa Twin. And uh, just having so much fun that I said, oh, this is, this is for me. And I got home from that course and I think two weeks later, I bought an XT250, a little little uh-huh. tiny little tiny bike. I'm I'm diminutive. I'm I'm uh, vertically challenged, as it were. <laughs> uh, so that XT250, uh, uh, honestly, was just so much fun. I put so many uh, you know off road miles on that the first season I had it, and uh, never looked back. I still have that bike. I have since actually sold the Africa Twin because I just wasn't riding it that much, and uh, and then I have my other bike for touring. So yeah. So have you been riding your whole life? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly the majority of it. I mean, I didn't tell my parents about it when I was working at the golf course when I was 10 and, uh, and they put me on a trail 70 to ride out to the uh, back end of the driving range and manually pick up balls. Um, but that would be my first time on a, on a, on a two wheeled, uh, motorized vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, after that was, uh, just, um, you know, bought an RM 125, which scared the ever living heck out of me. And, uh, that, I sold that and that led me to the street. Um, and I never, I always sort of missed the dirt. Um, uh, but the street, I just found, you know, obviously more predictable. And again, I, you know, big supporter of rider training, took a bunch of courses and, uh, just rode street for, you know, the next 30, 30 plus years. And, um, you know, I'm probably one of many who might be listening to this, who saw, you know, Ewan McGregor and uh, Charlie Borman ride around the world mm-hmm. and sitting there, I powered through those DVDs when they came in and, and, and was like, Oh, that's, that's the dream. But I also knew that the, you know, those bikes were big and heavy and, and, uh, and so I just sort of held off, uh, you know, obviously also expensive. And I had a family, a young family at the time. So, you know, flash forward a few more years and uh, I have to say the Africa twin was the first bike I bought solely based on marketing when it came out, I just, you know, ate and lived and breathed everything about that bike without ever putting a leg over it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that, oh, it's got everything I'd ever want and need. And, and you know, and of course, I committed three years to riding it and trying to get better on it and, and realized what I wanted to do. That wasn't what the Africa Twin was designed for. So, right. You bought a, and the Africa Twin is a fantastic bike. It, it probably it did bike. live up to all of what, what it said, but it's more for, well, it, like adventure style where you're going longer distances and probably leaning more towards the, the milder riding rather than the, that single track that you're so attracted Absolutely. to. Yeah. Absolutely. And as I say, I mean, it would, if, if I could have a, a four bike limit, it'd still be in the garage for yeah. sure. But, but there is a thrill. I, I, and I still enjoy the thrill of taking that big bike in places where you're not supposed to be. Like, like, you know what <laughs> oh, I mean? Yeah. Like where it's like, oh, this yeah. bike is not meant to do what I'm doing with it. And I think there's a, like, a real thrill for me in, in doing that. But like you said, you know, as you get older, you realize that it's a thrill until it goes down. And then when you have to pick it up, that's, that's the part I'm not fond of. Yeah. So in 2000, uh, so the bike's at 2016, I got it in 2017 and I think it, I'm pretty sure it was, it was summer of 17 
yeah, it was summer 17 that I took it to Moab. And uh, so here I am, uh, um, you know, a lifelong motorcyclist, but not a lot of off-road experience. Mm -hmm. I'm all geared up and I do a solo ride, ride all the way down to Moab. And um, I did some pretty tame trails. I did, uh, you know, the Schaefer Trail and White Rim Trail. I got about halfway in the the, uh, Colorado River. I can't remember if it was Green River, Colorado River, whatever the river is that, that uh, runs along there, um, was too high. And so I, I couldn't do the whole trail, but I, you know, I was able to handle those kind of roads. And then um, I'm at my campsite and uh, the guys beside me, one's on a KLR and, and one happens to be on an XT250, go figure. And uh, they look over at me and they're, oh, where are you going today? And I said, oh, I wasn't sure. Today was a free day. And they said, uh, oh, well, we're going to do uh, Poison Spider. You want to come along with us? And I said, well, I'm not all that skilled and you know, it's a big bike and it's heavy and all that. Oh, no, no, we'll help you. We'll help you. And sure enough, I took that bike up there. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, uh, to this day, I still look back on it. And, and A, it was one of the most exciting, amazing experiences of my riding life. And B, it was the most scary. And C, I would never do it again on that bike. <laughs> it, was, um, it was just, it was incredible. And the damage I did to the bike was unbelievable. And it's a testament to the bike as well. Um, you know, uh, I dropped it on a, a, you know, 30 degree side hill and watched it slide down this, you know, sandpaper oh. rock for six, seven feet on his crash bars. Right. And um, so, yeah, it, it, but again, it was just the excitement, you know, and I'm very happy I did it. Um, but in retrospect, I, I wouldn't do it again, but it was exciting for sure. Um, well, more recently you, um, had a little bit of an incident on a bike. I don't know, were, were you going where you shouldn't be going or were you, were you beyond the point where you should have turned around? Can you, can you <laughs> maybe set this up and where was it and when did it happen? Yeah. So this was last September, uh, in a place near a place called Lac Lejeune, uh, in between the towns of, uh, Kamloops and Logan Lake here in British Columbia. Um, for those that know the area, it's specifically the riding trails around Greenstone Mountain. And, uh, it was a, a organized ride by the Greater Kamloops uh, Motorcycle Association called the Loose Screw. And a good friend of mine from years gone back who had seen some of my YouTube videos, uh, called me up and said, Hey, you know, you, you really got to come out and, and do this. You'll have so much fun. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit nervous cause I'd never done an organized ride before. Um, but, uh, uh, he said, you know, we've got an A loop, a B loop and a C loop. And he goes, I'm sure you'd be super awesome on the, on the B loop. And so with a little bit of uh, anxiety, I signed up for it. What's the anxiety about? Uh, just because again, I had never done a, a group, a large group ride like that, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I wasn't really sure where my skill level was at, um, whether I should be doing the, the A, B or C. And, and right. again, I just had to go with his, uh, with his, uh, uh, description. Um, and, and so I just didn't really know, um, it's, it's called an unrace. Uh, that's another factor. It's, it's called the unrace because the idea is, is that the, the group organizers lay it out. It's a very long route. I think it was close to 200 kilometers. And uh, 200 kilometers off road is 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 a long, long, long way, um, and it's a mix of uh, of uh, you know four service roads and two track and single track, um, and the bragging rights are really, I think, um, uh, just being able to complete it because uh, um, you know being being so long. Um, anyway, we started out and, and no, I was not in the wrong place. I, I, I felt great. I felt like a million bucks. I'd, I'd met up with another rider that we'd been communicating online. He ended up camping right beside me. Um, and we left together, Martin and I, uh, uh took off and, and, uh, it was right in my, the B route was right in my wheelhouse. I was having so much fun. So talk about w- what you're riding and how you're equipped. 
Uh, so I'm a bit of a gear junkie, I have to say. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I'm, that's a disclaimer before you start to list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I carry all the tools. I've got. I mean, fortunately, I haven't had to do a, 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 a you know tire repair, but Lord knows, I, I I I have it all on me to be able to do it or have someone help me do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, probably the only thing I don't have is the battery booster, but I you know I carry the you know obviously the the Zolio satellite uh, um, uh, communicator. Um, yeah, I, you name it, I have it. It's, uh, it's a big joke. Uh, a friend of mine pulled out a paperclip once and said, you know, do you have one of these? And of course that was about the only thing I didn't have. <laughs> so, and what bike is it? Uh, that was the XT250. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that was specifically a dual sport ride. Uh, you had to, uh, have a licensed bike to be able to do this one. Um, cause we were on public roads as well. And is this the first day? It's the only day. Oh, it's, it's, so it's a one day event, 200 kilometers one- in one day. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah, wow. you you know, you show up Friday night. It's a big, huge farmers camp field. You know, two hundred some RVs and and uh, tents and people with all various types of licensed uh, dual sport machines. Um, the the Greater Kamloops Motorcycle Association puts on an, a, a great a great deal. Uh, you know, tents and you know uh, breakfast and that kind of thing, porta potties, whatever. And the next morning you take off, and then you're supposed to get back there at night, which unfortunately I didn't didn't make it. <laughs> okay. But, but so let's, so back up here, you're, you're following, what is it? How does this work? You've got 200 kilometers off road. you get a GPS track or how does it work? Yeah. You get a GPS track and uh, you can either follow that or you can use a road book. They have road books as well. Uh, I don't know how to use road books. So uh, I, I had GPS and as did most, I think most other riders. And uh, again, the bragging rights is just trying to complete the whole route. And uh, um, so, you know, we took off about eight in the morning. And, uh, you know, again, mix of, uh, two track and single track and this kind of thing. Conditions were, were pretty good. Uh, it rained the night before, so there was a, the dust was down, um, mm-hmm. but it was uh, pretty slimy. And what's the ride like? Uh, ride is amazing. I was having so much fun. I just, that mix of jumping into tight single track and then popping out onto, uh, uh, you know, a two track and then, and then hooking up with a, with a four service road and sort of getting up to speed and then dropping back down into some single track. So now you're, you're, you're going slower, but you're know, using the clutch and all the gears and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was on cloud nine. I was having so much fun. Yeah. Mm. It was amazing. Yeah. So what happened? Well, uh, so it took a break. There was uh, another group of three riders that we kept leapfrogging. And so myself and Martin and, and these other three gentlemen, um, uh, Jim, uh, uh, Mark, and, and uh, who am I missing? But anyway, <laughs> uh, the five of us, you know, had a little break. And, and I said, well, you know, I'll see you guys in, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so because we kept leapfrogging each other. They were faster, better riders and they kept going past us and then we'd catch up. And uh, little did I know that it would be a lot sooner than that, um, that we'd all be meeting up. Uh, I took off, uh, it was a two track, more of an ATV quad type uh, uh, trail. And um, I had made a couple of wrong turns with the GPS. I'd never had GPS on my handlebars like that before. Uh, If I was dual sporting, I would always pull over and pull the phone out of my pocket or or whatever. And in this case, it was on my handlebars. uh, And Mm. I was, uh, I made a couple of wrong turns before and I, I felt uh, you know, a little bit of time pressure. We were five hours in on this and we hadn't even hit the halfway point yet. So we've got a lot of riding under oh, our yeah. belt and, and we, and we really, I personally wanted to complete the whole route. And so I was frankly speaking, just paying way too much attention to my GPS and, um, uh, also tired and lazy, I guess I felt the bikes squiggle a little bit and I jammed the rear brake just thinking I'll scrub off some speed. And uh, it wasn't very gentle on the back brake. And uh, that rear tire locked up and the bike went down like a stone. 
and uh, it all just happened so quickly. But, you know, I've had, you know, I've dropped the bike like that before. So I honestly, you know, didn't scare me. I wasn't worried about it. I didn't think much about it at all. I figured I'd pick the bike up and throw the leg back over and we keep on riding. And, and um, when I looked down at my leg, I'm on my knees and the bike's beside me. And I looked at my leg and I realized that the foot, my um, right foot was uh, turned about 90 degrees uh, to oh. my, uh, to my knee. Oh. And you know, I didn't feel any pain. I felt a little bit of pressure in inside my moto boot, but, uh, um, yeah, it just, I, I realized instantaneously at that moment that I was going to be in a recovery situation, that there was no way I was riding out. Wow. But, uh, and yeah. so when you said you, you, you jammed on the rear brake and it went down, what was the surface like? Uh, it was, it was quite slimy. It was, uh, it was a clay like, uh, um, uh, dirt and, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty slick. And um, did you slide out? Like did, did the back end come around on you? Yeah. The back end came around to the left and, and, uh, um, you know, had I been paying more attention and not being so focused on the GPS, I never would have used that much rear brake had I maybe not been five hours in and a little tired. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was bad technique and it was, uh, too much focused on the GPS and bad technique, really. Um, uh, yeah, no, no, no rhyme or reason. It's always the weird ones. Uh, well, and I it's think. funny. It's one of those times that where I mean, it happens to all of us, right? And you usually get away with it. You know, you do it. And you go, oh, that was close. But this is the time where you didn't get away with it. Absolutely. I, you you just said it perfectly. I mean, I've, I've put the bike down like that on so many different occasions and got up and ridden away without giving it a second thought. Um, um, but yeah, uh, I will definitely not be doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, why did your leg break? What happened? Uh, so I, as I went down, I, I had my foot on the, uh, on, on the pegs and, and, and interesting, I, it's hard to say whether I should have just tried to bail out and jump off the bike or, or what, but again, I've been a road rider my whole life. And, and I do remember the thought running through my head that, you know, ride the bike in. <laughs> I'm not so sure that applies. Um, you know, because when you're on the road, you know, the idea is, is that, you know, the bike is going to protect you. If you go down on your side, you know, you, you generally should, as the bike's going down, stay with the bike. Obviously, every situation is a little bit different, but um, this was my thought process anyway, rightly or wrongly. And, uh, you know, the toe of my boot caught on something and just twisted that leg. What it, what it caught, dirt, rock, I'm not sure, but it just turned it and, and, um, and, and snapped the tibia and the, uh, the fibula. So, uh, both, uh, what the classic, what they call tib fib break. Right. Above um, your boot. Yeah. Above the ankle. No, above the ankle. Above the ankle. I see. Yeah. About halfway, halfway up, uh, the boot. Yeah. So, and, so. Your, and your boots, they were good moto boots. As a matter of fact, I had bought these moto boots for myself as a gift for this ride. They were oh. brand new tech sevens. <laughs> They're great boots. And from, you know, you got a lot of time in post-surgery, uh, recovery, do research and, you know, the general argument is that, uh, you know, had I not been wearing them, I probably would have broken my ankle and uh, that would have been a worse injury. So, right. and, I, and I, I buy into that mantra. I've, I've actually very big supporter of riding with full moto boots when you're off-road. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And of course, when your bike goes down, the, the off-road version of, of going down is to lift that foot up, get that foot out from underneath the bike. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, of course we've heard Clinton Smout say that on our our rider skills segments. You know, kick that he he teaches the kids, little kids, to do it. Kick the yeah. foot up when the when the bike starts to go down. It doesn't always work out that way. I think we've all went down and found our leg in the in the wrong spot. But very unfortunate. But the good thing is, you mentioned already, you got the Zolio. So you have the Zolio. Now the Zolio is a satellite communicator, like m- most of every communicator out there. And you managed to do what with that? We're going to take a quick break while I tell you about two things. When we come back, we've got more. Stay with us. 
If you ride a motorcycle, you should have one of what I was just wearing a few minutes ago. Actually, I think everyone should, especially anyone doing outdoors activities. It works great in the house too. So actually, maybe everybody should have one of these. The Pearly's Hugger. The Pearly's Hugger is a sweater that is designed for riding motorcycles. But between you and I, it's great for just about everything and everywhere. I wear mine so much. Actually, at first, I was worried about wearing it out. Pearly's had sent me a pre-production model. This was before the model was launched. I wore that sweater everywhere. And I figured it was meant to be used and abused. It was a pre-production model that I was supposed to, you know, try out and see what I thought of it. So I figured I would wear this thing until it fell apart around me. I rode in it. I worked in it. I sweated in it. I washed it regularly, then wore it in some more. That was a year ago. I firmly believe that I've given this sweater much more abuse than any sweater deserves. And still today, it looks new. Seriously, when they launched them, I ordered another one for myself because I thought I got to be wearing this one out soon. But the first one still looks as good as the new one. It doesn't show any signs of wear. So, okay, yes, they're durable. But the Pearly's Hugger is also, as I mentioned, meant for riding. So the seams are flat. It's comfortable in your jacket. It has a zip at the neck. It comes down to cover your lower back. And the fit is just fantastic. Maybe more importantly, though, is the knit of merino wool, possum fur, and 10% silk. I mean, no wonder this thing is so soft. Those natural fibers are more than just soft, though. They have lanolin in the fiber, which deters mold and mildew from growing, which means they don't stink like you'll find a synthetic sweater will. They also wick away moisture from your your skin. And by the way, you can't compare this with a synthetic sweater. It's just, they're just two completely different things. So it wicks away moisture from your skin. So that way, even when it's damp, it feels dry because it actually is against your skin. It also, by moving the moisture away from your body, it evaporates quicker. And because merino wool and possum fur are natural fibers, they still retain heat even if they get wet. That's what you want for riding. You want great gear for riding. Well, I really think you're going to find that the Pearly's Hugger is as important, maybe more important than your riding jacket. By the way, it's fluffy, it's soft, it's warm, but it also scrunches up into a tiny little ball that you can shove into your pack. I mean, I can even put it in my pocket. So it's something that I take every ride. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Who doesn't love motorcycle camping? But it can take some work to figure out what gear works best, what packs best, and what's more suited for motorcycle riding as opposed to backpacking or canoeing or something like that. Well, here's the solution. Moto Camp Nerd. Moto Camp Nerd is a brick-and-mortar store that specializes specifically in motorcycle camping gear. That's what they do. They are the motorcycle camping store. Located in Archdale, North Carolina, for those that want to walk in, but of course they're on the web as motocampnerd.com. They stock brand names like Nemo Equipment, Big Agnes, Sea to Summit. They say that their orders are processed and shipped within 24 hours, Monday through Friday, from the Archdale, North Carolina location. And for anyone that's undecided, you're looking for advice, you don't know exactly what's going to work best for your motorcycle camping trip, Ben and Mary Williams are the owners of Moto Camp Nerd. And they say they are happy to help you choose gear, sort out what you'll need from their extensive knowledge of products. In fact, they say that everything that they stock at Moto Camp Nerd has been thoughtfully picked for pack size and durability, specifically for motorcycle camping. Pack small, camp easy with Moto Camp Nerd. Their website again, motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
motocampnerd.com. Well, yeah, I, I crawled over. I knew I thought the pain was going to be kicking in pretty fast, so I was on my knees and I, I crawled over to the side uh, of the trail. And and uh, Martin pulled up and and you know immediately saw where my foot was pointing. I was like, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And he helped uh, set my foot up properly with some rocks supporting it and so on and so forth. But uh, ironically, I I almost always turn on my Zolio before I leave and and uh, send a test message to make it work. But in fact, sitting there right there attached to my vest and and I pull it off and of course I hadn't I hadn't turned it on so. Uh, I proceeded to go through the turn, you know, turning it on and hooking it up to my phone and, and the whole bit and, and knew that there was no other choice. And it's still also bizarre to think about it because I'd own this, I'd own one of these things before this, I had a, a Garmin inReach and, and, you know, I've never thought I'd be the guy who would hit the SOS button, but uh, yeah, I just knew this is what I had to do. So it fired up, everything worked out really well, connected to satellites really quickly and, and uh, you know, I hit that, hit that SOS button. Yeah. What did you think so, was going to happen at that point? Um, I didn't know. I mean, that's so funny you say. Uh, you're you're like, okay, well, how long do these things work, and what's the what's the uh, what's the deal? Uh, I can say that uh, the entire experience was just unbelievable. I think uh, I hit the SOS button, and and it was oh maybe I think it was maybe two minutes or or less, and and I was in contact with the uh, emergency response uh, person. The uh, I forget the name of the I think they call it. Uh, uh, emergency technician or something like that. Anyways, well, the person that uh, at Zolio on the other side, and just to be in contact with someone, um, uh, knowing that they they were listening was was unbelievably calming. That was that was an amazing experience, and the fact that it happened so quickly. And now, they, this is for sorry to let me interrupt there. This is you have the Zolio um, separately. It's a separate unit, and you've connected it via Bluetooth through your phone. You sent the SOS. You press the SOS button basically with your either on your phone or on the on the the unit itself, and they're messaging you back. Yeah, they messaged me back. Uh, the emergency response agent was back to me. Uh, I would by the time I booted it all up, they were back within two minutes, and uh, right away, you know, it was uh, you know, are you alone? Uh, no, I was with Martin um, and the other three gentlemen um, who had by this time caught up with us and seen what was going on. And, uh, you know, what type of injury? Um, you know, I was a broken leg and a moto boot. Uh, they ask all the right questions. It was, uh, you know, uh, can you see bone? Uh, they want to know if it's a compound fracture. And I'm like, you know, no, not a compound fracture um, in a boot. You know, I'm stabilized. I have people with me. You know, all these, they're asking all these the right questions. And then they said, okay, uh, you know, we'll, we're, uh, we're reaching out to emergency services now. And, and again, you know, you don't know how long these things are going to take, but uh, yeah, they, they kept checking back in every few minutes. There would be a message uh, checking back in saying what they were doing, what the status was. What time was it that you first messaged them? Oh my goodness. Uh, I want to say it was probably about 1230 or one o'clock, something in that kind of range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, within seven minutes, I remember that within seven minutes, I got the message back saying, you know, we're in contact with the local RCMP and, uh, we'll patch you through to the officer, uh, in charge. And, uh, it's interesting. We were outside a cell range. We were quite, quite far outside our cell range. Um, and I'm not sure how the technology works, but he was able to, once they did that, he was able to actually text my phone. So whether that's satellite based or not, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if that was going through Zolio or how that was working, but I was getting text messages direct from the uh, RCMP officer at the same time as I was communicating with uh, the Zolio people. 
So Yeah, I think that's one of the unique things about Zolio is that you get a, a number assigned to you, like a cell number assigned to your device, and it's yours. So you can give it to anybody and they can message you directly, even if you don't message yeah. them first. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been a huge fan. I've had it now for about three, four years, three years, I think. It, it, and uh, I had an in-reach part of that for about five years. And, and uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm a huge supporter of any of those devices. And I think depending on who you are, all of them are amazing in their own way. And all of them have different features and benefits and different costs and so on and so forth. But for me, um, the Zolio has just been uh, the perfect match to what I need and what I expect. And the fact that my, you know, friends and family can reach out to me um, you can still do that with some of the other devices, but it's more difficult. You have to go through a computer and you have to, it's just a lot of work. Whereas this, uh, device with having the dedicated SMS number, um, as you know, as you say, people can initiate conversations with you. Um, you, it functions like a WhatsApp or like a Facebook messenger. You know, you get the check mark. If you know your message is delivered, you get the second check mark. If you know your message is read. Um, uh, one of the greatest features for me as a, as I use it for mountain biking and hiking as well, is that, um, you know, the minute I leave, I do generally just turn it on and then I don't really care how it's being sent, whether it's being sent, uh, by, you know, Wi-Fi, if I'm near a Wi-Fi signal or whether it's being sent by cell, uh, my cell data signal or whether it's being sent by satellite, I just use it and, and it decides whether it's going to be sent, it sends by the, you know, uh, best method possible. Um, and, and so far I've had just the basic package and I, I think there's maybe only one month where I've actually exceeded, uh, you know, the, the number of messages and paid a little bit extra. Mm. So yeah, it's a great device. So seven minutes in, they tell you the the RCMP is going to be in touch with you. They get in touch with you. What happens next? Uh, so yeah, I'm in touch with the RCMP officer again. A lot, a lot of great questions, and uh, just trying to figure out how they're going to get to me. And apparently, the uh, local detachment does have a side by side. And uh, so Mark, one of the other uh, uh, riders that we were with, uh, uh, you know, went up to the local uh, Forest Service road, uh, probably about two kilometers away, and was able to get a pin pin location um, there. And then we were able to forward that to uh, uh, the RCMP. Oh, so they didn't get a location for you then? They had a location for me uh, based on the Zolio where I was, but but they were trying to figure out how to get you know an ambulance and a side by side as close to me as possible oh. because I was so far off the beaten track. Right, because because it's not going to show like with these off road tracks. It's not like on a, being on a road where you can say, okay, take me to there, and it, yeah. it routes them to there. This being on That's a trail, right. you're just sort of showing up in the bush somewhere. That's right. That's right. So once Mark was able to uh, get a pin and, and then we were able to figure all that out, um, um, the RCMP were able to, to help the um, uh, paramedics uh, figure out what Forest Service road they could get as close to me as possible with the ambulance. And then they unloaded, the RCMP had their own side by side and then they brought that in and then they came down the trail and, and uh, they, had, they brought down uh, two, uh, uh, two RCMP officers, brought down uh, two paramedics with them. So they, uh, they gave me some, some, uh, laughing gas, which, uh, I think did a pretty good job. <laughs> a couple other, a couple other meds, I guess. And then they had to lift me into the back of this side by side, um, stabilize my leg and, and, uh, the whole bit and, and then take me just under two kilometers back to, uh, to the ambulance. Uh, and then from there it was into, you know, an ambulance ride to, um, uh, Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops, Kamloops, BC. I think all in all, uh, they were, I think they were to me in about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half, I believe. 
something like that. Wow. Um, which given where I was, I think was, uh, was, I mean, it certainly exceeded my expectations. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty incredible system. I mean, these first responders that come out, it's, um, yeah. dedication. Wow. Yeah. For me personally, if there was one takeaway from all of this is just the unbelievable level of gratitude. Um, you know, the, 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 throughout the whole system, you know, the paramedics, like these are, you know, I'm, I'm 57 now and I'm looking at these, what to look like to me, young kids, you know, this <laughs> is paramedics and the RCMP and the level of professionalism throughout the whole experience was just so far beyond my expectation. The way they cared for me, the compassion, the, um, they were just fantastic. I mean, the RCMP were trying to figure out how to get my motorcycle, you know, back to, to a safe place. And, you know, that was another, uh, uh thing I ended up relying on, on my friend, uh, my good friend, Dean, who, who had, uh, invited me on, on the ride and, and, uh, you know, he organized some, some of his buddies to go out and recover my bike. And I had friends come up from Vancouver to take my truck and my trailer back down to like, yeah. Then, and, and then just the, the care that I got at the hospital, you know, the, at Royal Inland and then later at uh, Lionsgate hospital here in North Vancouver, the, the surgeons and the doctors, the nurses and everybody I met, everybody was just so professional and so compassionate and caring. And it was, yeah, I mean, I really don't want to have a broken leg, but I have to tell you that that uh, pretty much other everything other than the broken leg was a really positive life reaffirming experience. Obviously, you're you're not going to let this satellite com go. You're going to this is something that stays with you. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I was again, I was such a huge fan before, largely because of communication, not because of the SOS feature. You know, the SOS feature is always just sort of in the back of your head, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who's ever going to use that. Yeah. And then, and then until you are, and um, you know, but for my son-in-law and myself, for for when he's hunting and I'm out in the backcountry, whether it be motorcycling or, or hiking or mountain biking you know, that, that just that ability to, to check in and, and again, with the Zolio specifically having very easy for my wife who has the app on her phone, um, to just go into that app and, and just quickly send me a, a message, you know, whatever it might be. And yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, it starts with communication and then the SOS is just the ultimate bonus, uh, <laughs> after the fact. What do you think would have happened if you didn't have it? If you didn't have a SATCOM, nobody did. That's a great question. Um, I haven't really thought about that, but I can say um, uh, that there was a debate with the with some of the riders who caught up with me about possibly loading me on the back of a bike and doubling me out to, to a place where they could get a four-wheeled vehicle. And I got to tell you that the thought of that was very scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, um, I, I guess... Um, that is what would have happened. I, um, you know, would have had to splint my leg somehow. Um, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was splinted in a sense within the boot, but that didn't stop it from flopping left or right. So I would have had to splint it all the way up through to my thigh and then possibly, possibly, you know, double out. Um, yeah. Uh, I honestly hadn't really, I really hadn't thought about that. A horrible thought though. I mean, I mean, you know, having to ride on, on a bike with a broken leg and hope they don't drop their bike or bounce you off of something. Oh yeah. Again. Yeah. Just, Ooh. Yeah. It's uh, it's a little, a little creepy to think about. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. Well, I, I'm so glad you made it out fine and it makes a good story in hindsight. Once it's all healed, it's all healed now, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm right on, I'm right on, uh, on track. Uh, pretty much everything the, uh, the medical practitioners advise me is, uh, is true, uh, in terms of time frame and everything. I, uh, was just under, uh, three months, uh, not, you know, not, not really weight bearing, 
I was able to ditch the crutches just before Christmas. Um, uh, we're now, what, a month after that. I'm, I'm hobbling around a little bit of a limp. Um, uh, interestingly, the bone itself is almost uh, completely healed. It's uh, really the tendons and the lack of flexibility in the ankle and the, and the knee now that is uh, um, uh, something I have to work on. Yeah. That's just from lack of use while it's been healing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and of course, my, my leg muscles are, are not as strong as they, they should be. You can really notice that going upstairs and so on. But they basically told me that um, within six months, so say end of March, I should be 100%. I'm going to do my best to try and make it five months. And I have every intention to swing in a leg over the bike probably, uh, you know, early April sometime. So I've already booked my uh, trip to Moab for uh, uh, end of September. And, uh-huh. uh, and, I, and I hope they put the loose screw on again this August. Uh, it was supposed to be in August, but they had to delay it to September because of the fire season up here. Um, but uh, hopefully it's in August again. And and I have that very supportive wife who, um, as we were driving back down from Kamloops and I could see my, my truck and my motorcycle trailer out in this farmer's field waiting for my friends to come pick it up. Uh, it reminded me that I wanted to do the ride again. And it was the opportune moment to say to her, you know, what do you think about me doing this ride next August? And I'm, 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 I've known her really well. We've been together 32 years, but I'm thinking even she would say over my dead body. And she, without a hesitation says, Oh, you fall off your bike. You got to get back on your bike. Of course you got to do the ride again. And I mean, the joy that I could, you know, I was like, Oh, she's so fantastic. <laughs> it was just, uh, cause that really is true. Um, and, uh, you know, to her point, she said, you know, she's a competitive soccer player. And she said, Sean, I've, I've seen, I've seen people plant and turn on a soccer field and have the same injury that you have. So it's always the strange things. So yeah. get back out there. Yeah. Sean, thanks so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Jim. It's, uh, it's, it's happy to share anytime and, and really hope people uh, get those satellite devices, you know, uh, they really, really, they really mean something. Speaking with Sean Steed from British Columbia, Canada, we've got some photos from Sean's, well, misadventure, I guess, and rescue in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now, coming up next, we're going to dig a little deeper into that satellite messenger service that Sean used, how it works, and why it ticks all the boxes and more, really, for us riders after the break. Go light, go fast, go far. That's the motto at Giant Loop. See, the folks at Giant Loop believe that lighter and simpler is better and that how we ride shouldn't be dictated by what's strapped to our vehicles. That riding is just plain more fun when the unnecessary weight and bulk are removed. I think we can all agree with that. So what they do at Giant Loop is focus on what's needed to serve a product's mission, which means no extra straps or buckles or everything in the kitchen sink design. They say that every product is purpose-built to enhance the riding experience for those that want modular and customizable packing systems that's durable, stable, intuitive, and lightweight. They do this using years of personal riding experience. Don't forget Giant Loop founder Harold Cecil, who started the company, really started making bags for himself for his own luggage. And then after that success, Giant Loop was born. They also get feedback from riders all over the globe, and they use all of this to design the lightweight durable modular luggage systems that they have. 
Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. GiantLoopMoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. GiantLoopMoto.com. It certainly takes practice to control a motorcycle in dirt while standing, but the rewards afterwards are well worth the effort. The thing with practice is, though, it takes time. You have to burn the fuel to gain the experience and then get the control. There is one thing that will help you gain control over your motorcycle and sort of speed up the process. Install well-designed, well-manufactured foot pegs that give you the added leverage and control as well as comfort on the highway without sacrificing the ergonomics of your brake and shift levers. Now, making foot pegs like that is extremely difficult to do. IMS Products does that beautifully because they've spent almost five decades building parts for motorcycle racers. They take that invaluable knowledge they gained over all those years, they take feedback from riders, and they pour all of that into making incredibly well-designed, incredibly durable foot pegs for us motorcycle riders. IMS applies that to their entire line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, from the ADV1 and ADV2 large platform foot pegs to the Core Enduro. IMS has a peg that will suit your specific ride style with all the design elements and durability of a Dakar racer's foot peg. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Sean. I'm president of Zolio Inc. Um, Zolio is a personal satellite messenger and safety device beloved by outdoor adventurers all over the world. Morris, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here again. You know, it's funny. I always say Zolio, but I'm not really saying it right, am I? It's Zolio. Zolio. Zolio, yeah. not Zolio. <laughs> you know, different people have different ways of saying it. It's, it's good with us. Right. Well, what does it come from? Well, LEO is an acronym for Low Earth Orbit. Um, so that's referring to the type of satellites that the Iridium constellation uses. Uh, Zolio device works on the Iridium satellite constellation. And Zo, just uh, a prefix to make it memorable, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't. I thought maybe it was just totally all made up, but Leo makes sense. And, and that's, totally. of course, the, the first thing that I want to start with you was this satellite system. Can you talk about how the satellite system works that, that you're using for, for messaging? Sure. Uh, well, we use the Iridium Satellite Constellation, as I mentioned. It is their second generation of um, satellites, uh, low Earth orbit satellites, meaning that it is a constellation of 66 satellites that are continually circling the globe. Um, that is a different constellation or a different satellite technology than geosatellites, which are geostationary satellites, which basically are um, stationary at a certain point, um, generally above the equator. And so then your satellite terminal or, you know, you'll see those big satellite dishes need to be pointing at the satellite. The advantage of a low Earth orbit constellation is that 
there are constantly satellites circling overhead. So from a user perspective, you don't necessarily need to be um, that conscious of uh, where your device antenna is pointing, although you do always need a clear line of sight to the sky. So the LEO ones, they're moving around the Earth because they're close enough to the Earth. If they're not spinning, they'll get drawn in by Earth's gravity. Yes, correct. So um, that does occasionally happen when a satellite malfunctions, um, that they may even get intentionally um, brought back into Earth's gravity and, and burned up for safety reasons. Um, but yeah, so the they're, they're lower. The other implication of that is that the device that you're using on the ground doesn't need as big an antenna or a battery um, in order to establish a connection with the satellite. Right. So this is distance that we're talking about. That's why you don't need as much power. Correct. Right. So, so the real advantage, I guess, with this would be that you don't need the power. You, you can use very tiny antennas, small batteries, as you said. And also, I, would, I assume it's faster as well, rather than the, than the stationary version that you described that was farther out in space that stays in one spot above the Earth. Yeah, that's another good point. Um, lower, lower latency, as they would say in technical terms. Right. So is Zolio more about an emergency call button for help? or a seamless global messaging system? Uh, well, hmm. that's a good question. It's actually, I, I would say it's really about both, and it's, it's actually hard to separate the two. Obviously, you can have uh, messaging that is just more for, for conversational purposes or, or checking in with someone, um, but they're really tied together. So I think, you know, we find that, I guess I would say safety, um, is the primary driver, uh, but safety I would define more broadly than just pressing the SOS button. It might be just letting someone at home know you're okay. Um, you know, we have a, a medical assist feature where if you're not feeling well, but it's not really an SOS situation, you could check in with with um, a healthcare provider. So there's different elements to it, but I would say the peace of mind and um, security element of it, of which SOS is one component, uh, I would say is the primary driver given the types of activities that our, our subscribers engage in. There's been uh, satellite beacons around for quite some time that would transmit an emergency signal. They're still around, PLBs, they're called. And I think um, probably Spot was maybe the first one to come out with this button that we could carry around this box. We could press a button. But now with the messaging being a big part of this, do you think that the um, the messaging system that, that's been sort of added to this being so robust as it is now has helped reduce some of the, the help button being pressed? Uh, because uh, what I'm saying is because we can, we can help ourselves in minor situations now through the messaging system. Right. So I think that is the case. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of, I guess there's two sides of it. More people have access to the devices. So I would say there has been, um, more people pressing SOS buttons, no matter what type of device, but that's, that's legitimate, right? It's because more people have access to the technology. Um, I think what has been great about these two-way devices like Zolio and InReach um, is that ability to establish the nature of the emergencies. Um, the PLBs, the types of one-way devices that um, predate the satellite messengers, really were one-way devices you could send an alert. But if you're on the receiving end of that, 
well, what type of emergency is it? Um, is, is someone lost? Are they out of food? Do they have a, a severe body injury? Have they had a, a heart incident? Um, so I think it's really kind of improved both the accessibility um, of emergency services when you need them and the quality or the, the timeliness and I guess the appropriateness of the services that are provided. The system that you have is a cellular satellite combination. So, so why is that relevant? So the device itself is satellite, um, but the app, which goes on your smartphone, will check and see if there is a cellular signal first uh, before switching over to satellite. Um, and I guess that's relevant for a couple of reasons. Number one is cost. Um, satellite uh, services are generally more expensive than cellular services. So uh, Zolio can piggyback on your cell plan if it's available. Um, and then, you know, cellular services generally, if it's available, is more robust than satellite service in that you don't need necessarily that clear line of sight to the sky. So, you know, it really gives um, a more well-rounded service, I guess I would say, um, and more economical service um, that's to the benefit of the subscriber. So so exactly how does that work, or, or roughly how does that work, I should have said, <laughs> cellular satellite combination. So what happens? So if you're connected to your Zolio device uh, and you send a message, that message could be a tracking message, an SOS, a text message um, to your friend, um, whatever type of message, um, if you're in cellular coverage, uh, then or Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi coverage would also work. Basically, the app would fail over to that, and only if Wi-Fi connection or cell connection is not available will it go to the satellite. Mm. So as we were talking about earlier with, with the satellites and how you've got a, a difference between the, for instance, the LEO satellites that are spinning around the earth and that stationary one being farther out, there's latency there. You mentioned about that. The distance, that's part of the physics of the satellite system is being farther away. It takes a little bit longer for the connection, but the cellular one, as you mentioned, like when you're in cell range, we all know the cell, cell systems are quite robust. They have towers all over the place. It's a faster way to get the message out. So basically what you're doing is not aside from the expense, you're choosing a faster route. Yeah, that's a good point. It is faster as well. Um, mm. And the other point I would make is that, you know, you may be moving, especially if you're on a vehicle, a motorcycle, for example, you may be moving in and out of cellular coverage. So if you're using um, a device or an app that is cellular only, there's um, the potential that you won't be able to have that continuity of messaging. So with satellite being overhead, looking down, is it always there for us? Are there times when you won't be able to get the, the, the satellite connection? Uh, there are times when you won't be able to get a satellite connection, and it really depends uh, mainly on the topography of the area that you're in. So you do require a line of sight to the satellite. Um, so if you are you know, in a downtown office tower canyon or in a canyon out in the wild, you may not be able to establish the satellite connection. 
If that happens with a LEO um, satellite system, as I mentioned, the, the satellites are constantly circling the globe. It will likely take longer for the message to get through. So you're sort of waiting for a satellite to pass through that little window of sky um, where the connection can be established and the message sent. And, you know, depending on the situation, you may, you know, if you're really in and uh, have no real visible line of sight to the sky, that um, could be an issue in terms of getting the satellite message out at all. Because we are limited by physics. <laughs> Radio waves work a certain way and you can't change that just because, you know, you want to go into a slot canyon or something like that doesn't have exactly. a, a view of the sky. Yeah, exactly. But it's something to be aware of, though, isn't it? Definitely something to be aware of. And, you know, certainly anyone using one of these devices should be aware of the best practices in terms of how to point the antenna, um, trying to, to get to a spot where there's clearer line of sight if, if they happen to be in a canyon, for example. So I think um, educating yourself on the device and its proper use is essential. And I can think of an, another advantage there of, of that cell service connection too, though. Um, in many places, you'll get a cell connection. I mean, we're getting a lot of cell service now. So um, you possibly, you know, it's, it's always a chance that it could have cell service in that area where you wouldn't be able to get the satellite. And at least with this system that automatically switches over, you've got a better chance anyway. Yes, for sure. For sure. I mean, you may be indoors even in, in a cabin in a remote area and, you know, somehow have some internet service there. Right, right. So can you talk a bit about how this messaging system works? Is this the, an app? Just talk about the app and does it just talk app to app or does it can it talk app to somebody else's phone or computer? How does it work? Sure. Well, the nice thing about Zolio is that you have a variety of ways of communicating. So each um, when you when you sign up to a service, essentially you get a mobile number that is assigned to the device, and you can think of that just like your cell phone number, in that anyone um, could message it from you know uh, iMessage or or Facebook Messenger or whatever app they use for messaging or a simple text message. You also get an email address, so you know Morris at Zolio .com or something like that. Uh, so people can email you. When you're using the device um, or the app, I should say, to send a message, uh, you can address it to someone's SMS, to someone's email, or uh, if they have the Zolio app, you can send an app-to-app -app message. That would be the preferred method. So the Zolio app, do you need an account for it? Like if I was the, the person with the, the Zolio uh, device, and I want to message somebody else, do they have to be a member as well? Do they have to pay for the service? No, they don't have to pay for the service. It's a free download from Google Play or, or Apple um, app stores. Uh, so right. you don't need to be using the device. Um, you can use it just like any other messaging app on your phone. Um, the advantage of app-to-app -app messages, which is, you know, if you have someone that you communicate with frequently, that's when we generally see people using app-to-app, um, uh, is that you can send longer messages up to close to a thousand characters. Uh, there is um, tracking service that um, people can receive and see your uh, breadcrumb trail. So different features like that um, are more, you know, are more accessible if you're using the app to app uh, messaging method. Now you mentioned that you, you get a mobile number, you get an email address. Why is that important? Well, 
It's important because you want to be able to give someone a way to reach you. So with, um, with our competitor's device, um, for example, you need to wait. If you're the person at home, you need to wait for that person out in the field to message you. And then you're replying to their message because essentially they don't have an address. They don't have a fixed address. Um, having a mobile number attached to your Zolio device gives you a fixed address for people to reach you if they need, um, if they need to. They, they're not only replying to your message. Mm-hmm. And this is this is really important, I think, because like you said, the, with the other systems, they have to initiate the the conversation to get you able to be able to send them a message. Rather, with the Zolio, I can just give out my because I have a Zolio, and I, I can just give out that number to anyone and say this is where you can reach me, and they can just randomly send me a message. That's that's really handy to have when you're away from regular services. Yeah, no, it's huge. It's, it's, you know, definitely one of the biggest reasons that people choose Zolio. It's funny because we, we talked years ago when, when Zolio first came out. I had you on the show and we talked about this. And back then, well, actually, back then you, you were mentioned, you, we learned about the cellular and satellite combination. I think Zolio was the only company, wasn't it, doing that? It was. We were the pioneer. Yeah. So now Garmin has one out there. They, I guess they've sort of mimicked w- what you've done there and they have a, a similar system. But it surprises me that no one has done the mobile number because this to me, I've used Zolio for an emergency rescue mission. And that was really key, having a way to to have somebody yeah. able to contact me right away with that number. No, I agree. It's, it's just um, a great feature. Um, and I, I really can't be sure why um, people haven't done it. It may be technical hurdles or it might be um, the added cost uh, on the provider's end of providing um, a mobile number. So I'm not sure why, but it is definitely something that our subscribers really value. So each of these satcoms, whether it's the Leo Garmin spot, they all have this help button for emergencies. And I think we understand that was the, the real basic thing. Having this device with us is incredibly powerful, probably more than people realize, because the resources that can be energized just from the simple press of a button are massive, not only in, in number of people involved, but in time and money. And a rescue can rack up a huge expense for someone, not to mention the volunteers that give their time and all the other things that go on. So as a provider of this type of device, Zolio, how does Zolio think the help button should be used, that emergency button? Well, you know, we definitely think it should be used um, judiciously. So, you know, you mentioned the volunteers, all the agencies involved. There are a lot of people involved in in the search and rescue infrastructure in in the U.S. and Canada, around the world. Um, And those resources are precious. So, you know, the one thing is you don't want to divert those resources from potentially a real emergency um, with something that is more frivolous. So I think, you know, you, you need to realize that when you press the SOS button, <laughs> you are mobilizing really a lot of resources. So, um, you know, you, it, it, it needs to be um, uh, a situation that warrants it. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons, you know, people are sometimes unsure as to whether they are in, you know, if they're feeling something physically, uh, they may not be sure what it is and whether it's a real emergency or not. 
If you are unsure, of course, then you want to err on the side of caution. Um, that's where the two-way messaging comes in really handy um, because uh, Global Rescue, who is our um, emergency response provider, they are trained professionals. They can help um, triage the situation and determine the nature of the emergency. Um, I mentioned earlier also we have this medical assist button where if you're not sure you can engage with that, it is a step below pressing an SOS and a health professional will get on the chat with you. Um, you can describe what's happening. It may be as simple as you've run out of medication and you need to know where the nearest um, pharmacy is. Um, or it might be something more serious. If you need an SOS, they will instruct you to press the SOS button at that point. So medical assist, does this cost or do, like what are the repercussions of using that? Uh, it is a service that is included with any Zolio subscription. There's the cost of messaging. I mean, usually that's just included in whatever bundle that you have, but um, it does count as a message, I guess. That's it. Yeah. But other than that, so if you're in the backcountry and you have something and you're wondering, you just, wow, that's that seems really good. And, and that also reduces the stress on that help button again. Yeah. No, it's great. We launched it. Oh, I'm going to say my memory is failing, but I'm going to say about a year ago. <laughs> and we've seen um, great take up among our subscriber base. It's great because the help button is, is, well, I mean, it's just like pulling a fire alarm, isn't it? And so everything, like once you've pulled it, everything just flies at that point. Whereas here you can, you can actually inquire. That's right. And some people, you know, sort of what I just described were, and what you described in terms of mobilizing um, search and rescue resources that, you know, that, that may make people more hesitant to press. And it's like, oh, I'm really not sure that type of thing. So I think giving them all an alternative, giving people an alternative, is really valuable. One of the things I want to ask you about was the, the cost of rescue. And because, I mean, these are global devices. The people who are, are taking these on motorcycle trips are going to other countries, etc. How do you look at or, or what do you do about the cost or is there a cost to being rescued in, in another country, for instance? Uh, it's really, it's a tough question to answer because um, it really does vary by jurisdiction and even within a country, there may be different agencies depending on what type of activity you're doing or where you are and some may have different policies um, in terms of charging. Generally in the US, there are states that have started to try and recover costs, um, but none of the federal agencies uh, do charge for search and rescue activities. Um, and generally, I think you're fairly safe as long as you're being responsible out there. I think what um, people are trying to discourage is people going out into the wilderness unprepared. Um, in other countries, mm -hmm. there is more potential of being charged by search and rescue. And do you know how that works? I mean, do they show up with the the card swiper and say, here you go, this helicopter is you know, going to be $25,000 you need to pay before we go? Honestly, it, it probably varies a lot by um, by region, so uh, I couldn't really give a good answer to that. Well, do you know, is there any insurance that you can buy, for instance, through Global Rescue, that would cover you for that sort of thing? Yes, there are definitely a number of providers that um, can, can give you search and rescue insurance. Global Rescue is one of them. Uh, they have a very um, strong policy. Uh, their standard membership, I guess, would cover a lot of scenarios, field rescue, hospital transport, 
um, travel assistance, security advisory. So they have a very comprehensive offering. Hey, Morris, you mentioned a weather app as well, or a weather button that you can press. Can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, well, it's not a separate app. When you're connected to your Zolio device, there's a weather icon available. Um, and with a touch of a button, you can update the weather forecast. Uh, you can get weather for your current location or for a destination location um, by entering coordinate, coordinates or interacting with the map. Oh, you you can pick a, a spot you're going to and get weather for that. Exactly. So that's a oh. feature. Yeah, that's a feature. Actually, that's another nice thing about Zolio um, is that we are continually improving and adding features. The uh, medical assist was was one example, and we've also improved our weather service and that you can now get weather for where you're going, not just where you are. Ah, that could be handy, definitely for a motorcycle trip, because if tomorrow you're going to be, you know, over the mountains somewhere, then you can get the forecast for that and plan accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Might be completely different than where you are now. Well, uh, before I let you go here, Morris, I I want to ask, so is it, what, what new is coming down the pipe with Zillio? Hmm, let's see. I don't want to give too much is there, away. Anything, as you say, is there anything you can leak? <laughs> uh, well, you know, we are, all I would say is we're continually looking at um, improving our um, tracking services. I think we have also been looking at integrating with other apps that our users use um, to be able to communicate through Zolio. Um, or to bring Zolio data into their apps. Uh, and yeah, so a lot planned. Morris, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure. I was speaking with Morris Sean, the president of Zolio from their head office in Toronto, Canada. Their website is zolio.com. Now, we've got some links and photos, again, in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Don't forget we have another show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It comes out once a month, the 21st of every month. It's roundtable talks about motorcycle travel, and both shows are built on a model of advertising and listener support. So if you're not doing it already, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Just have a look. Anything $10 or more gets you some Adventure Rider Radio stickers, which are nice stickers by us 
Podcast. Yes, I am. 3M stickers. And uh, anything $50 more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. You'd have to hear the Raw show to hear what that sounds like. But we would really appreciate it if you'd look at our patron program and just consider signing up. Just a few dollars a month. It can be any amount. You can choose the amount or you can pick one of the tiers. And then you're there to support the show each month. And what you get in exchange for that is not only the knowledge, knowing that you're supporting a show that you like to listen to every week and every month. But on top of that, you also get the choice of listening to an ad-free version if you would like to have that. That's all on our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 